0: While uh, Pastor Anderson was preaching last Sunday, we were down in Florida visiting my family and getting a, a break from the Vermont winter, enjoying some, some sun and some warmth. And while we were down there, uh, we decided to take our kids to Disney's Magic Kingdom for a day. They've been talking about this for several years, and so we thought this, this was the year to make the plunge. How many of you have been to a Disney park somewhere in the world. Yeah, almost, almost, you know, the vast majority. Some people think about a trip to a Disney theme park kind of like a rite of passage. It's something you have to see or have to experience at least once in your lifetime. And that's because Disney is known for creating these immersive sort of magical uh, environments where princesses and talking animals and pirates and space exploration and all of these incredible things sort of come to life right before you. Just like with the films they produce, these experiences are designed to draw us into the story they're telling, to help us experience a different kind of reality. Philosopher Tyler Shores has has written about this idea, and he says, quote, Disney has a unique ability to not only entertain us, but to capture our imagination. He says it's not just about what is told to us, but how it's told that makes all the difference. He goes on to say there's something about Disney that stimulates a kind of playfulness of thought, it makes us eager to follow along, eager to go wherever their story wants to lead us. I think probably better than just about anyone in, in our day and age, Disney has mastered the art of telling stories. And when they see others telling great stories and capturing our imagination, like Pixar or, or George Lucas and the Star Wars you know, creators, they, They've gone out and, and actually obtained those storytellers and brought them into their fold as well. Because they know that once you're inside of a story, things look different, right? You can see things in a different way. Well, so there, are, there are stories that the magic kingdom is trying to tell us. But in our study of Matthew's gospel this Lenten season. Jesus also knows something about the the power of stories to draw us into his kingdom. And I would suggest the Magic Kingdom and the Kingdom of Jesus are pretty different in in a number of respects that that we'd be wise to pay attention to. One of the things I think that's interesting to notice about the structure of Matthew's Gospel um, many scholars would say Matthew has really built the structure of his Gospel around five blocks of teaching. Of course there are the stories of Jesus' miracles and his travels and and all of what he's doing, but there are five places where Jesus has an extended block of teaching in this gospel. The first two we've already looked at um, this spring. One is the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7, right, where we're introduced to the kingdom of heaven. We're introduced to its, its values, we're introduced to that paradigm, the way the people of the kingdom live and, and the desires that they have. A new fullness, a new filling up that that kingdom provides. The second block of teaching that we're given is in Matthew 10, we looked at this a couple of Sundays ago, where Jesus uh, gives us the Sermon on Mission, and he talks about how in his kingdom, it's not just him doing the the work, but that he will send us out as ambassadors of that kingdom as well. Next Sunday, a little later in Matthew chapter 18, we get Jesus' teaching on the church, or the Sermon on the Church. And there... Particularly, Jesus is interested in kingdom relationships. How the people who choose to follow him are, are meant to work with one another and, and forgive one another and endeavor in life together with each other. And then, very near the end of this gospel, chapter 23 through 25, Jesus has an extended teaching on the end of all things, the last things, what we're, we're meant to, to know about how history will will be brought into fulfillment and what it will be like when Jesus returns. So we have these, these four blocks of teaching we've just described but today we're actually coming to the block of teaching that's right in the middle of Matthew's Gospel. And that actually happens to be a sermon that's all about stories. It's a, it's a collection of Jesus' kingdom parables. And I like to, to think about um, these, these stories that Jesus strings together in Matthew 13 as Jesus's family stories. And I want to explain why, why that is. I think these stories are, are in some ways intended to be a doorway for us and for anyone who would, would seek to be a disciple of Jesus. They're a doorway that helps us understand how we enter this kingdom. How we enter into the family of Jesus himself. If you look in your Bibles, and let me invite you, if you haven't turned there yet, to open up to Matthew 13. And as you get there, just bring your eyes back to the very end of chapter 12, just before this, this chapter. You'll see that at the end of Matthew 12... Jesus is, again, doing miracles, he's teaching, he's preaching, and the controversy, the heat around what Jesus is up to continues to to increase, so much so that Jesus' own flesh and blood family are concerned about him, and they come looking for Jesus. And at the end of Matthew 12, they they show up, and they they find Jesus in a home teaching a, a large crowd of people, and they've come to take him back with them. They're going to go back to Nazareth, get Jesus out of the public eye, out of the scrutiny of the the Pharisees and teachers of the law, keep Jesus out of trouble. But when they show up, they can't even get into where Jesus is because there are so many people gathered to listen to him. And so they send message into Jesus through through someone in the crowd. And eventually that, that makes its way to Jesus and someone tells Jesus, Jesus, your mother... Your brothers, they're waiting outside. They want to have a word with you. Jesus seems like you're in trouble. But look at how Jesus responds to that concern. Matthew 12:48. He says to the person who brings him the message, "Who is my mother and who are my brothers?" And then he in Greek it says he sort of extends his hands out toward those at his feet. And he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, or sorry, is my brother and sister and mother. Right? Whoever is, is listening to the will and the intention and the desire of, of our Heavenly Father, that makes them family with one another. And in so doing, Jesus has just redefined the the family unit for us. And we can imagine that message making its way back out to Jesus' blood family and and the offense that that might have created, the surprise that might have created. We can also imagine that those seated at Jesus' feet were, were confused and surprised to be named his brothers and sisters, even his mother. And I think Jesus knows that ...that what it means to be part of his family... ...what it means to follow him as a disciple... ...is something that needs further explanation... ...further unpacking. And so it's almost, I think, in order to... ...to develop that idea further... ...that we begin Matthew 13. It says the very next thing Jesus does... ...the same day, later that morning... ...maybe the first part of the afternoon... ...Jesus leaves the home where he's teaching... ...and he takes all of his disciples, I think he probably brought his own mother and brothers as well... ...down to the lakeshore. And he begins to tell them stories. Not just one story, but a whole afternoon of storytelling. He told them, it says verse 3, many things in parables. And I think all of the parables in chapter 13, in one way or another, are asking us this question. How is it that we enter into Jesus' family? Who's counted among that family? How do we progress and and how do we follow Jesus into the story he's going to tell us here? And so as we uh, work our way through Matthew 13... In, in short order this morning, there's, there's a lot there and we won't have time for all of it. Um, let me pray for us. That, that Jesus' words take us where um, he intends to take us. Lord Jesus, we believe that at the beginning of all things you spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. And in doing so you you ordained and designed us to be in relationship with you, our creator, our master, our teacher, our savior, our redeemer. But Lord, there's, there's a lot that has come since that moment that obscures your true reality from our vision. Obscures our ears from hearing clearly the words you want to speak So, Lord Jesus, would you give us ears to hear this morning? Would you open our eyes to see you? Would you give us hearts that are are fertile and ready to receive the message of your kingdom? Lord, would you allow the words of my mouth, would you allow the meditations of all of our hearts this morning to be pleasing in your sight? It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Fortunately, or maybe fortunately in your case, I don't have all afternoon like Jesus did uh, in Capernaum to tell you the stories the way I imagine he did. Right, we get the Gospel writer's account, which I assume is a highly compressed version of these stories. I don't don't actually think Jesus told us the parables in one or two or three sentences. I'm sure as a master storyteller in an oral culture who had a much greater sense of, of time and availability, ...to hear and listen, that Jesus probably told these stories in in an expanded form. If you do bedtime stories at your house, maybe you can pick one or two of these parables... ...and and give them some space to breathe and and enter into them with more detail and imagination together. But what I want to do in these next few minutes is, is mention several of these parables... ...but I want us to think about what kind of response... Jesus is inviting from us as we get drawn into his stories. Jesus' parables are not just about entertainment. They're not just designed to help us pass the time. Right? They are designed in a way that, that we're compelled to do something upon hearing them. So let's, let's start where Jesus does in Matthew 13. With the story of a farmer going out to sow seed upon his field. We can picture Jesus in, in, at the lake shore there in Galilee and looking out and, and instructing the crowds to imagine a nearby farmer's field. And as that farmer went out to, to scatter his seed, some of the seed that he sowed fell upon the footpath that the farmer walked where birds would quickly come and and take the seed away. He says some of it would probably land on the edge of the field, rockier soil, soil that was not yet cultivated for growing anything worth keeping. And so that seed would never truly take root. He says some of that seed may have landed in a soil that had other things growing up, along with it, weeds and and thorns that would compete with that seed for for vital nutrients and space to grow up. But he said, some of that seed, maybe a good portion of that seed, will fall on the, the ground, the soil that that farmer has carefully prepared and made ready, so that it will grow up and yield a great harvest. Jesus wants them to imagine this field and all the different possibilities of where that seed might fall. But whenever Jesus tells a parable, almost always, in most cases, the the last line or one of the last lines is the most important. It's it's the thing that's designed to, to draw us back to the response Jesus is seeking. And in this parable, the last line is in verse 9. After telling this story, Jesus tells his brothers and sisters and all those who have gathered to listen to him that this story is not just about soil. It's about ears. He says, whoever has ears then, let them hear. Jesus has designed this story to be... Kind of like a gateway for all the other stories he's going to tell. And he says if you want to enter into this family, if you want to enter into this kingdom, if you want to actually enter into the the kind of story I want to, to tell you and lead you into, it begins with what happens with our ears. And Jesus requires that to be a member of his family we must truly Listen. We need to give our attention and our imagination... ...permission to follow Jesus where he's headed. Eugene Peterson has said of Jesus' parables... ...that in some ways Jesus actually makes things more difficult with parables... ...rather than more straightforward. Right? Jesus could just tell us didactic sort of... ...you know, reduced truth statements. But instead he tells us stories. Because stories require us us entering into. They require our time. You have to give your attention to a storyteller before you you get the payoff of the story. If you look at verses 18 through 23. Jesus' disciples come back to him and they ask him to explain this first story. And Jesus says that the story, again, is all about listening. He says there are many in the crowd that day, many who have come to him who hear the words, he says, maybe even show some excitement about the words, he says, but who ultimately aren't really listening to his message, who are not willing to give the the soil of their lives space For that that seed that he is sowing to, to saturate fully into their soil. He says there are some who are troubled by other voices, other seeds, other messages... ...that are growing up together with the words of Jesus. So much so that they drown out what Jesus is trying to teach them. But he says there will be some for whom the words of Jesus... ...mean so much, that they desire them so much... ...that they are willing to make space for those words to grow. And for these ones, Jesus says, as they listen to his word... ...a harvest of understanding comes up. And so I think the first thing Jesus invites from us... ...is this practice of listening. Listening carefully. Choosing to attend to his word. That's a, a first step, a first practice for every disciple. And it's something that every one of us is capable of doing if we desire it. Right? Remember back to earlier this same morning when Jesus says, Those who are going to be part of my family are the ones who sit at my feet and receive my teaching and attend to my words. How about us? Are we the kind of people who sit leisurely at the feet of Jesus, long enough to listen to his stories, long enough to soak in his vision and version of reality? Do we listen attentively? Do we listen imaginatively to the gospel Jesus is proclaiming? It's, It's not a complicated practice, but it's one that requires intention. Good listening is like good soil. It must be cultivated in our lives. Once Jesus gets his audience warmed up with this first big story, soil story, he then moves on to a series of stories that I think describe what happens as his word begins to find a space in our lives. What can we expect next ...as brothers and sisters of Jesus in his family. And I think of the next story as as kind of a... ...continuation or a revisiting of that first sowing story. He says, remember that farmer who was out sowing seed in his field? Well, imagine that, that he was sowing a wheat crop... ...and the seed had begun to take root in the soil... ...but then one night his rival... His enemy, someone else in the community, snuck into his field and sowed a different seed. Sowed weeds beside the wheat. Jesus says, imagine the the mess that that would make. Imagine the disorder that would create. Imagine how hard it might be to distinguish the, the young wheat growing up in the field from the weeds all mixed up. ...there beside them. And Jesus says, well, what, what are we to do about that? What, what would the farmer do? One option would be to go in and, and try to tear out all the weeds... ...right away. Take them, take them out of the soil. But Jesus says, to do so would be to, to risk tearing everything up. The good along with the bad. Jesus instructs... ...that a wise farmer would be patient. A wise farmer would wait. A wise farmer would wait for for the wheat to grow into the full maturity of what it's intended to become and allow those weeds to, to grow up and show themselves for what they are as well. And then the farmer can come at that moment of harvest and separate the two from one another. The good crop to be stored in his barns ...and the weeds to be taken to the oven for burning. Jesus says, being part of my kingdom family... ...will also be like this. He goes on to say, imagine that same farmer... ...choosing to sow a different crop. What if you came across that farmer... ...and he was sowing these tiny little seeds in his field? Mustard seeds. You might think to yourself... What of worth, what of goodness could possibly come from such a tiny seed? Why is the farmer wasting his time? But again, Jesus instructs us... ...that in his kingdom we have to wait and see what will grow up. Jesus says from these tiny seeds an incredible plant, a a veritable tree... ...will grow up in those fields we give it time. Finally, Jesus tells a, a third story in this series. And he says, now imagine that wheat crop... ...that's been grown up and harvested and turned into flour. Imagine a woman in the same village... ...taking that flour, large portions of that flour... ...to make bread from it. And you know that into to several measures of flour... ...she will sprinkle... Not even a handful of yeast. But that almost unnoticeable yeast that she will work into the dough will have an incredible effect. You know what happens. She'll she'll mix the flour together with the yeast... ...and she'll set it aside maybe for the morning or into the afternoon... ...and she will come back to see that loaf of bread, the dough, risen. ...expanded and and transformed, made new. Jesus says you have to wait. You have to see what these things will become. I think Jesus is driving at this idea that... ...if we are to understand the power that his words have... ...the power that his kingdom has... ...the power that his stories have... We need to to understand what the people in this story or series of stories understand. They know that that the wheat they've planted will grow into a great harvest one day. They know that these tiny seeds they're planting will grow into something unimaginably great in size. They know that they're sowing and, and, and working 11 into... the the dough, that will eventually transform everything it touches. But all of them understand that it's going to take time. It will take waiting. So Jesus says to be his brother or sister also requires from us the discipline of waiting. Because there are many other pleasures, there are many other kingdoms that offer us different outcomes. ...different products that that look like they're in prettier packages. There are many things that will offer us a faster return... ...than the Kingdom of Jesus does. And so we need to be people whose imaginations... ...comprehend the incredible power that's latent in the Kingdom of Jesus. That's growing in the Kingdom of Jesus. But it's still on the way still doing its work. We have to be people that not only listen to the seed that Jesus scatters our way, but we have to receive it with expectation, with a knowledge of what's coming. What is Jesus planted in your life that's still growing? What's Jesus planted in the life of this church family that's, that's still... Already, but not yet. When have you caught glimpses of of the gospel of Jesus' hope and its power and its transformation and its potential? When have you seen little bits and pieces of that in our midst? And how often do you take time to imagine with Jesus what this kingdom will one day be like? ...what it will be like when heaven invades earth in full. Jesus says that for us to be part of his family, to stay with him in this journey... ...we need the certainty, the knowledge of what comes with waiting. First Peter tells us that we are a people born into a living hope. And the way that that hope, Peter says, has been planted in us is through the imperishable seed of God's word. Right? His promise that will yield a harvest in time. So to, be, to, to belong to the family of Jesus is to be people who make space to listen. Who make space to imagine with Jesus what's coming as we wait. And let his word do its work. And the last few stories that Jesus tells on this particular afternoon point us to the the incredible riches and and worth of this kingdom we've been promised. Jesus tells us treasure stories. Jesus says that his kingdom is is one that could be compared to, to a man who just happened to be passing through a field one day. And as he made his way through this stranger's field, he discovered a great treasure hidden in that field of which no one knew. And so in his excitement and his joy, he went and he sold everything he possessed in order to buy that field so that he could possess the treasure within it. He says that that the kingdom that we are entering into as his brothers and sisters could also be compared ...to a merchant who had spent his life traveling the world seeking fine jewels, pearls. Until one day he comes upon one pearl which is of such great value, of such great beauty... ...that he trades in his whole inventory. He sells everything he's possessed up to that that moment. Just so that he could, could have this one treasure alone. Jesus says, these stories tell you about my kingdom. And I think both of these stories tell us a couple things about the kingdom of Jesus. They, they share a few pieces in common. First, in both stories we learn that the treasure of this kingdom isn't cheap. Right? Neither the field that the man purchases nor the pearl that the merchant acquires can be had at, at bargain prices. Right? They can't acquire the treasure and also hold something back in reserve. As Jesus tells these stories, he says they're both all or nothing stories. Jesus says that the treasure of his kingdom is about commitment. It's about making a choice with our lives. Will we go where he leads us? And so saying yes to the the kingdom of heaven will mean saying no to many smaller treasures and kingdoms. It will be costly. Jesus tells us that again and again in this gospel. That it will be difficult to follow him. That there will be sacrifice needed. We see one of the sacrifices Jesus has made at the end of this chapter, Matthew 13, right? It begins with Jesus' family trying to bring him home and Jesus saying, you don't understand who I am now and what my family looks like now. But by the end of Matthew 13, we're told that Jesus chooses to go back to his hometown with his family. And he goes into the synagogue in Nazareth and he begins to teach them maybe some of these same stories The teaching and the authority and the wisdom of Jesus are are brought back to his hometown. But we're told that his family and his friends don't see. They cannot perceive the treasure that stands in their midst. And instead of delighting in the kingdom of Jesus, we're told they are offended by it. They have no ears to hear Jesus. They have no patience to imagine what his kingdom will become. In the the wager that's before them, they play it safe. They disown their hometown prophet. They saw the price tag, the cost of Jesus' message as too great. But what they could not see was the joy it contains. Look at the treasure seekers here in Jesus' story. ...they too acknowledge that there is great cost... ...great sacrifice, great loss... ...in possessing these treasures. But what captures their heart... ...is the joy that follows. They see that if they follow Jesus into this story fully... ...that what has long been empty in them will be filled up. They see in Jesus the promise... ...that the face of their God will be before them, revealed in human flesh. They see in Jesus the treasure... ...that they were made to desire above everything else. One of the early church fathers, Gregory the Great... sixth century, I believe... ...comments about this parable... He says that what overtakes these treasure seekers, what overtakes the disciples of Jesus, could only be described as a great romance. He says, What possesses us to give away all that we have to follow Jesus is, is a love that must sweep us off our feet. Because if we do not find ourselves moved by the love and the passion, ...and the joy of being with Jesus. Then we will find it hard to listen. We will find it hard to wait. We will find it impossible to commit... ...to the kingdom way Jesus would lead us into. But if we're willing to have ears... If we're willing to have imaginations, if we're we're willing to let Jesus show us the incredible riches and joy of his great kingdom. Then we just might discover that we have a place in the family of God himself. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we could possess all things and if we do not possess you you do not possess us, then ultimately we will come into great disappointment. Lord Jesus, I I pray that you would give us the collective joy and insight and even resolve as a church family to invest everything we have to invest all our energy, all our resource, to risk it all in faith that you truly are the Son of God and you have come to show us the way to eternal life. Help us to enter your kingdom. Help us to follow you where you are leading. In your name we pray.